What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Take It Easy Sports Show. My name is Zach Alvaro, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Eric Newman. Uh, Eric, we're into week five of the football season, and we're going to kind of highlight week four, the games that you and I are at. We're going to highlight you know, a couple things going on with the World Series, some exciting games there. And we've also got uh, the man himself, Mr. Greg Esposito, better known as Espo, joining us as well. Uh, how you doing tonight? I am good. Uh, excited for this conversation with uh, Greg, the sec- the third Greg we've interviewed on this show. Um, we've had Rosenberg and McAfee. So I'm trying to think. There's been two Eric's, including me and Sorensen. There hasn't been another Zach, has there? No, there hasn't been another Zach yet. So I don't I really know Greg, a whole lot of Zachs. So. Yeah, I think Greg is the the most interviewed person or most heard from person name on this podcast do you think we'll ever find another chili if we do if we can even find (laughs) another person named chili even if they're not related to sports media or anything at all um i want to interview them i do too i think it'd be very interesting maybe we should have the real uh the real chili on too just to you know kind of compare and contrast who uh who they are personality wise. Yeah. Every chili we know, which would be two in that situation. <laughs> Unless we can find a third miraculously, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so week four has come and gone for the Arizona high school football season. Um, I was at Hamilton Saguaro. I'll go ahead and just start with my game. Just kind of reviewing like we do every single week here. Um, big time defensive battle, um, you know, only 20 points total scored. Uh, Saguaro's offense did not find the end zone. It was actually a special teams play. It was a, it's a punt return actually by Javen Jacobs, who by the way, is very, very electric. He's a phenomenal athlete, great player. And I mean, I really, that, that's kind of what I expected heading into that matchup, obviously with the talent that Saguaro has and the talent that Hamilton has, I kind of expected a little bit more points put on the board, but I mean, both defenses really shined. The special teams on both sides really showed up as well. Cole Martin had two punt returns that basically flipped the field at one point, put Hamilton inside the 10 yard line. It led to 10 points for the Huskies, which obviously they won 13 to seven. So made a big difference. Um, Yeah. I mean, it it was, it was one of those games that you could tell there was a different type of energy because obviously the ESPN cameras were there. Um, And at the same time though, it was pretty sloppy. I mean, a lot of penalties, not much offense, like I said before, but that can be attributed to two great defenses. Um, but nonetheless, it was it was a cool atmosphere. Um, you know, it, despite you know lower crowd numbers, obviously, um, still pretty good. You know, a lot of cheers, and you know, I think I think Arizona put on for the national TV audience, and um, you know, Hamilton obviously after the win, they're now number twenty five in the country. So, do you um, think um, in I saw all the updates and some of the stuff from it, but I haven't gotten a chance to really talk with anyone much about the game itself. Do you think that Hamilton really showed that like a separation between them and Saguaro? I mean, obviously they won the game, but like a, 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 a separation of them as like another class kind of with Chandler in terms of, you know, a top two and then Saguaro being a little bit behind them or were they pretty evenly matched? No, they were definitely evenly matched. Um, you know, I've said it all year long. I've said it's Chandler, it's Hamilton and Saguaro. And then you have, you know, kind of a little bit of a gap. And then you have everybody else right now. Um, 
you know, and, and I could be totally wrong. There could be some teams, obviously, that, you know, sneak into that conversation of being, you know, top four. Um, but, I mean, you know, Coach Zadebski even said it himself to me, and they're going to see Saguaro again. They're they're expecting to see Saguaro again, whether it be in the 6A playoffs or the open division playoffs, most likely the open division, obviously. Well, they wouldn't um, see Saguaro in the 6A because Saguaro. Oh, they're right. That's right. That's right. You're right. They would oh, have to wow. be in the open. Oh, here I am. I was reading tweets saying that, Sha- that Saguaro should be in, in 6A, and now I'm thinking they're in 6A. So you're right. Thank you for correcting me. All good. Um, so, th- so they would see them in the open division. Um, obviously, you know, both teams would have to get there. But, you know, I my money's on one, if not both of them, getting there. So Yes, agreed. Um, but no, I, I think I think it's still those three, and then everybody else is kind of still, you know, building up to be at that level. You know, obviously we thought Queen Creek was going to be at that level with them, but they've kind of hit a rough patch a little bit this season so far. And then we thought Castile maybe, and then they go and, you know, Williamsfield just does what Williamsfield does to other schools in that area. Um, So I think, you know, I think it's still those three teams that are the teams to beat. Um, But, you know, one other team that could potentially make a case for being up there with them is desert edge because they also have a very good defense and you saw desert edge against ironwood uh what'd you see from that game it was domination um and i really thought this was going to be a closer game i obviously was wrong uh 41 7 was the final score will haskell the ironwood quarterback who's a d1 commit really one of the best uh players that isn't talked about as much um in the state but he got injured um, midway through the second half or through the third quarter. And I talked to Coach Rizzo very, very briefly after the game, and he said he'll be okay. But, you know, a game where they were already getting beat pretty badly, and he, their best player in there, uh, the guy who brings the confidence into the Ironwood team wasn't out there, made it kind of difficult um, for them to do much of anything. But, um, Desert Edge really put it on them. And at first, it was just a running game that was beating Mount uh, Ironwood. And um, Gerald McIntosh ended up with almost 280 yards on the ground and two scores. He just was unstoppable. But what really stood out in the second half was that they started throwing the ball significantly better. And Adrian Lara in the first half had one good touchdown throw. Um, but that was really the only big toss he had the whole half. And then it seemed like he turned it on in the second half and was uh, using his mobility and um, his strong arm to get passes down the field, and they really started doing well in that way. So that was interesting to see because um, no no one thought he wasn't a talented quarterback, but they hadn't been playing the same offensively as uh, people were expecting. So that was kind of a... Uh, a, a show me match for them. And, you know, the defense, as we've seen before, was great and really shut them down. They, the Ironwood had one score, but they were really never in the game. It seems like it was almost like just a complete 180 turnaround for Desert Edge from when I saw them play Cactus to when they played Ironwood. Would you say that was probably correct? Yeah, the defense played about just as well. Okay. Um, that, that's sorry. That's I meant the offense. The but, offense yeah, offense. Offense really turned it around. Their O line played really well. Um, they were making great holes for the running backs, um, or for 
Macintosh and then also um, Lara had a few good runs. But yeah, that was it was definitely a, a turnaround effort in terms of uh, putting points on the board and moving the ball down the field. Yeah, and you know, once I know we gave credit to Cactus last week, obviously, but once again, credit to them because they were undersized. They were obviously, you know, when you in terms of comparing the athleticism of the two teams, Desert Edge obviously wins that battle, but they held a very high powered, at least from what it seems like from this past week and a weeks prior, they've they held a high powered Desert Edge team to twelve points. Yeah. Um. So I mean that's that actually says a lot about Cactus's defense too, and you know I feel like they've only gotten better as the time has gone on, and you know I think you know I'm hoping that they you know continue to get better because you know the last thing you want to see is teams get worse obviously and yeah you know obviously with you know ironwood um losing losing will especially is going to be big so i don't know hopefully hopefully he's going to be okay for this coming yeah, they're, week they're but... thinking he'll be back i don't know if it'll be this week or uh after but they've got ironwood has a big game coming up uh they play against if i'm not mistaken another four and O team yeah, they play against uh, they play against uh, Sunrise Mountain, who wow. is four and zero and has beaten um, good teams. They beat Cactus forty eight to seven, beat yeah. Mesquite, beat Liberty, and then beat Valley Vista this week. So that's not an easy game by any stretch. No, not at all. Uh, but it kind of begs the question. I was gonna, I, I wanted to ask you this. So I was kind of hanging on to it. I didn't want to interrupt you when you were actually going through everything yeah, you saw no in the game. Um, at what point, if you're losing so bad, do you just pull your starter to not risk injury? I think that was maybe part of it. I don't know exactly, but I mean, he was hurt some, obviously he was pulled because he was hurt, but, yeah. uh, maybe even if he was able to go back in, they might not have, um, because of the fact that, yeah, they were just down so much and it wasn't like they were doing a whole lot with him anyway. Yeah. Um, so there, that was definitely something I thought about, but yeah, I, I don't have the answer for you specifically. Yeah, exactly. Because, um, you know, we see teams do it all the time when, you know, they're up by a lot. Obviously, one of the teams who I do want to touch on really quick is Chandler. Uh, it seems like their, you know, their starters haven't had to play basically any second half this year. Um, you know, what have you just, I know you haven't seen Chandler in person, but what have you just heard or what's kind of your thought process about Chandler we all know Chandler's good but I want you to break down from your point of view the fact that Chandler has scored well over 200 points in four games it's crazy and it's crazy because it's not like they're playing scrubs um they are just uh, they're dominating people and we've seen Liberty has gone on to be good the last few weeks um, after getting destroyed by them, um, we've seen some other teams that Chandler has played just not look like the same kind of football teams. Um, and they're actually going up against Centennial this week, who is usually a solid defense. They obviously got beat pretty bad by Hamilton. Uh, maybe they'll they'll have some transfers in, I assume, and um, maybe try and turn it around this week a little bit. But yeah, it's crazy. Um, it really seems like every year for the past few years, people are like, is this the best Chandler team? And every year they somehow look different and better. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, that's all I can really say about it is that's a wild number. Yeah. And, you know, I even, I even asked, 
our friend Gridiron Arizona, Chris Eaton, the hashtag numbers guy. You know, I asked him on Saturday. I said, you know, what's the what's the um, I don't think it was regular season record. What was the overall record for most points scored in a season at the 6A level? And he told me that it was 653, ironically, set last year by Chandler. Um, the Wolves averaged 46.6 points a game. And if you think back to it, they didn't play 14 games. They only played 13 because the Open Division only had the three, right. the three rounds. So 46.6 a game, um, obviously crazy. Uh, this year's team so far, 56 and a half points. And they have 226 points total in four games. And they play Centennial, so, you know, we'll see which Centennial team shows up, obviously. Yeah. But after that, Chandler's got Desert Vista, who obviously is struggling big time this year. Then they play a very good Highland team, and then they play Hamilton. So I don't think Highland and Hamilton are going to be blowouts. I don't even think Centennial's going to be a blowout. You know, as much as I love Desert Vista, unfortunately, they're just way too overpowered when it comes to them facing Chandler, especially this year, because they're just so young. And Devin Grubbs has been battling injuries pretty much every single week. Um, but, you know, Chandler, obviously, if we're talking about Chandler running the table again and getting to the open division game, I mean, that would be 11 games in a season, and they could potentially get pretty close to breaking the record. Although, uh, according to Chris, they'd have to average about 59.4 um just to tie it going the rest of the way but you know who knows i mean yeah even against we they've even shown against good defenses they can make them look not good <laughs> yeah yeah it's been a crazy season so far for them yeah it really has and it's crazy too because you know i'll have people who aren't really like so in tune with all the players and everything that Chandler has. And they just see Chandler scores. They see their number four in the country just moved up from number five. And they'll ask me, they're like, so like, is Chandler really that good? And I'll say, yeah, they, they legitimately are that good. And I kind of go through, you know, a few players on their offense who are committed or have major offers from division one schools. And then I touch on their defense who obviously led by Brandon Buckner as an Oregon commit, you know, just, the amount of talent on that team is just ridiculous. Yep. Um, you know, it's hard to imagine who can stop them, but you know, as, as we've already kind of touched on a little bit, Hamilton and Saguaro seem like they may be the only ones as of right now. And we'll see what happens. You know, I've, I've given Highland a lot of credit this year because their defense looks very, very good. So, um, you know, we'll find out how good they are, especially against Chandler. It's, October 26th, Monday, as we record this, where are you going this Friday? I assume actually you, there's a chance you might be going to that Thursday game as well. Um, it's very, very possible. Um, so Friday, I'll, I'll, I'll explain Friday. Cause I know for sure I'm going Friday. Uh, I'm actually going to go see mountain point and Corona del Sol. Um, Corona del Sol, obviously having a very, very good year. Uh, they are undefeated as of right now. Um, I'm very excited to key, see their quarterback, and that's Quade Swearingen. Um, they've got a ton of other athletes as well. Their defense, their running back, I've seen is really big. His name escapes me right now, but he's one of those just, you know, run straight downhill, absorb contact guys. Those are, those are the type of running backs I really enjoy watching. Um, but Mountain Point is getting, you know, for lack of a better term, a ton of transfers <laughs> to yeah, be eligible. Definitely. Um, 
you know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I plan to go out there hopefully Thursday afternoon. Um, but, you know, Amir Boyd is, is a natural athlete at quarterback. He can really play all over the field. And what really makes this Mountain Point team kind of interesting is Chris Arvizo, who's more of that pocket passer, natural kind of type, I guess you can say. He becomes eligible, and he's got an arm on him. And with those two in the game together, we could see something like, man, uh, we could see something like a uh, a Taysom Hill, Drew Brees kind of look to it. We could see something like what Saguaro does with Xander Werner and uh, Ridge Duchakal, where you have two quarterbacks on the field, but one of them can really run like a receiver, basically. So I think this Mountain Point offense is really going to open up the playbook now. You've got Rob Moore that's going to be eligible. You've got him and Cam Gillum that will kind of act as like a a tandem style backfield. But then you've also got guys like Devin Sparks who can come in, who's just a natural athlete that can also come in and take some carries as well. Um, Their O-line is starting to get healthy finally. Kevin Sawitzki played for the first time last week despite having a cast on his hand essentially. Um, But they've also got a bunch of other kids as well that are coming in that can really play just about any position. So... You know, I think this Mountain Point team may be more competitive than we've seen in the past. It's just a matter of how much practice time, you know, how much have they actually like take advantage of that practice time they've had together to really get that chemistry down and be able to come in and make an impact right away. Um, So I'm excited to see that game. Uh, Where are you going on Friday? So it depends. I would love to go see um, the Phoenix Union um schedule opens up this weekend and Cesar Chavez is a team that a lot of people thought before all this started was going to be a uh, really talented squad um so I'd like to go see Cesar Chavez take on South Mountain which won its region in 5A last year another Phoenix school that has some talent on the squad um with a new head coach it just depends on whether they're having media coverage and everything there yeah um is so, that game going to be at Chavez? It's going to be at Cesar Chavez. Oh, so they're going to debut their new turf field. I assume they will. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if I can do that, I'd like to go there. Um, otherwise, I'll be seeing Mountain Ridge take on Valley Vista. Um, and Mountain Ridge is a team that's looked amazing at times and not looked as good at times. Um, they have been, um, I mean, they they blew out. Notre Dame prep, which is not an easy team to beat, um, but then didn't look that great this week um, and kind of got dominated by Boulder Creek, even though the score was only by 14. Um, Boulder Creek really took it to him. So I want to see the the young sophomore class um, that's leading them and some of the guys. Doug Madowski is one of my favorite coaches. He's always been great to me. Um, I, we I, had him on the show too. Yep, he was did. really good on the show. Yeah. Uh, I still don't understand how he can coach a high school team and <laughs> a JUCO team at the same time. Um, one practice in the morning, one in the evening, a game oh, on Friday, a game on Saturday. I don't, I don't get how the man does that. But uh, so I haven't seen Mountain Ridge this year in person. So I'd like to go see that one. So it'll just depend on what the coverage looks like and everything. Yeah, and, and you did mention a Thursday game, and I, I realized that we forgot to even mention what it was. Uh, ben Franklin at at uh, ALA Queen Creek. Um, so kind of a – actually, it's a rematch of the 3A championship last year. Both of the schools now up at the 4A level. Um, is that a game that you may be heading out there to? 
It's it interests me. Uh, ben Franklin mm-hmm. has not been playing that well this year. Um, yeah. In terms of being the, you know, they were runners up in three A last year. Now they're having a tougher time in four A. But it's still a rivalry match, and we always talk about you know some of the teams that know each other really well um, don't necessarily have even if one's significantly better than the other it can always be a close game so it's a it's a possibility but i'm not sure yet are you gonna go Uh, i'm thinking about going um it's a it's a strong possibility that i will be out there i'm sure ralph will be out there and possibly chili and everyone else too so uh it's definitely definitely something that might be i might be going to all right, switching gears, Eric, uh, you and I are going to get into a couple of the games that we're looking forward to seeing the result of from this week uh, in just a few minutes here. But uh, I also want to get into the Cardinals' huge win over Seattle Sunday Night Football. However, I want to bring on Espo to talk about that with us because he actually wrote a column for Arizona Varsity that was pretty funny, but it also kind of made you mad if you're a Cardinals fan, especially one that wants tickets to those games. And we all know how expensive they are. Uh, so we'll get into that as we bring on Greg Esposito, Mr. Espo himself. Espo, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Right on, right on. So, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know who Greg Esposito is or, you know, like I said, Espo for short, um, that is his Twitter handle. So please feel free to give him a follow. He is the host of Sun Solar Panel, and he's also the host of The Espo Show. Um, he says on his Twitter profile that it's a, it's a selfishly named, but I think it's well-deserved at this point. Oh, <laughs> come on. It, it is a, uh, pardon my language, but a really douchey name to, <laughs> to name your podcast. I'm just going to be the first to say it. So. Oh, well, I, I don't agree with you. Um, but you've also, you're also part of team AZV. You do a great job with the dry heat index. Uh, you wrote, um, something that I want to get into in just a couple minutes here in regard to. Uh, Seahawks fans being one of 1,200 in attendance for the Arizona Cardinals game here at home, of course, at State Farm Stadium. Um, and then you also did post-game radio for the Suns at one point, too. So just to start, you know, where did your career begin and what made you want to get into this business? Well, I'm, I'm going to feel immensely old tell, uh, just talking about this, but uh, I actually started back in the late 90s as part of uh, Mark Asher and Vince Murata's high school football roundup show on Friday nights. Uh, I was in high school at the time, so you guys can do the math as to how old I am. But they, uh, I actually reached out to Vince Murata and said, "Look, I'm uh, look, I'm interested in a career in radio. Uh, I really want to do this. Uh, would love the opportunity to do it with you guys. I think it would be unique to have a high schooler." covering high school football. And they said, sure, why don't you come down, uh, shadow us for one night in the studio, and the following Friday we can send you out to a game. And the only caveat was I had to own my own cell phone, and that was not a normal thing back in, I believe it was 1999. (laughs) So I had to scrounge up every uh, ounce of cash I was earning at the Hallmark store I was working at by myself, a cell phone, and then uh, went out there and started covering it. I I knew since I was probably about 10 that I wasn't going to play sports, and the best way to actually be involved was going to be through media, and and I kind of knew that was the path I would head down. So that's how it all started. What was the first game you covered? Oh, you're asking. I, I, 
I think it may have been a Mountain View game in Mesa. I covered primarily East Valley because that's where I lived. And uh, at 16, I, I had a short leash as to how far I could drive around right. the valley. But uh, I think it was a Mountain View game. And then I remember I covered the name of the guy. The, the kid escapes me. But uh, a game in Tempe, a Tempe High, where uh, the the kid ran for like 400 yards in a game it was it was the craziest game i'd uh i'd ever witnessed in in covering high school sports and i used to remember all the details but as i said i'm getting a little bit older now of course don't quite remember them anymore so when you're covering these games did you do some writing did you do mostly just call in to to their show and just recap the game how did it actually work out so I would call in for a pregame hit to kind of preview the game uh, in the six o'clock hour. Would call in at halftime of the main game that uh, uh, that Mark Asher was calling play by play for, and then I would call in with a report post game after their game was over. And uh, there wasn't really a website back then. God, this makes it sounds like it was. <laughs> Such a long time ago, and I guess in in many respects it was, but in others it wasn't. But uh, so I would basically hand write a report, which could have gone on a website if if we had one back then, and I'd read my script, and that was kind of the way it uh, it went to start. That's awesome. So from there, uh, did you did you pursue journalism as like a as for a degree in college? Like how where'd you go from there? You would think that would have been the logical progression, but at uh, <laughs> at 18, sometimes you make decisions that aren't uh, the most logical. I almost didn't go to college. A fun little story. I was interning for uh, AM 1060, The Deuce. Uh, that was what it was called back then. And Mike Jarecki was their midday host with a guy named Bill Lewis, a former offensive lineman for the Arizona Cardinals. They did a show. Uh, th- at the time, KDUS was the home of of the Cardinals, which tells you how different times were back then. They were lean for the Cardinals, for those of you that weren't around for it back then. But uh, they, they said to me, hey, we want to pay you $25,000 to skip college and be our producer. And I went, $25,000. That's the most money I've ever, I've ever heard of. If you're willing to pay me that, I'm going to rethink this college thing. And, uh, about three seconds after I told my father that he was, uh, ready to murder me or throw me out of the house. And I realized real quick, that wasn't the plan. So I went to, uh, Marquette university for a very brief time, a, uh, studying broadcast journalism, uh, which ooh, ooh. made sense. Right. But then I'm a Marquette uh, I, alum. I, you are. All right. Yeah. I didn't realize that a, a fellow. Well, I guess I'm, I'm like a quarter golden Eagle since I was there for, for a couple semesters. Sure. Uh, and then I moved home because of a girl. I, that's not something you should do for, for any of uh, <laughs> as Rod Wolfley would say my young crunk brothers. I do not recommend <laughs> moving home for a girl. Uh, because that story never ends real well, and it didn't in this case either. And I went to the uh, University of Arizona when I when I came home, and uh, unbeknownst to me, they didn't have a uh, broadcast journalism school. Uh, I went down there because I didn't want to 
go to school in my parents' backyard. And, and again, in my infinite wisdom at 18, I made some bad decisions. So I went down and studied a thing called media arts, which was really a, uh, a film and television degree. And, uh, and you know, for, for everybody out there, just get the piece of paper because it doesn't mean it's what you'll wind up doing. And it certainly, I'm not a filmmaker, so uh, it certainly isn't what I wound up doing. Um, and then you get, did you ever make any films? Um, did you ever record <laughs> no. anything? <laughs> no, I, uh, I spent most of my time as an intern with the Tucson Sidewinders while I was down there. I spent, uh, two full years, uh, interning for them and set the, University of Arizona record for most intern hours ever recorded uh, because I just loved being down there. And they're like, you can't get, you can't get credit hours for this. And I'm like, fine, whatever. And I just spent my, my entire times in the summers uh, down at Tucson electric park. So that was uh, most of my college years. No, no films, just uh, obsessing over, over radio and, and what I could do in the sports world. And then side sidewinders were the were that baseball team, right? Yeah, they were the uh, Dimebacks AAA affiliate down there That's before right. they moved okay. to That's right. Okay. So you end up there. Um, what was next step, and what got you to um, what I know you from is your is your podcast specifically focusing on the Suns. What got you into that? Um, You're like, hurry this up, Greg. We don't really no, care about the life story. No, I <laughs> Get do. to the good stuff. <laughs> um, no, but uh, that's how I that's how I knew you before even the Team Arizona Varsity stuff. I'm sure it was a long path up until then. Um, but I think that's what people probably know yeah. you best from. So, so I'll give you the cliff notes. I uh, yeah. I left college. Uh, well, graduated college. I left makes it sound like I just uh, escaped Tucson and didn't get the piece of paper. Uh, hey, I we we wouldn't blame you though if you want to escape Tucson. No, no, I I don't blame myself either. I describe <laughs> it as a a three year stint I did down in Tucson is the is the way I reference it when people ask about it. But uh, so so left school uh, after graduation and at that point it started a sports website with a a buddy of mine who was in business school. Uh, and if you're creative, I highly recommend you partner with a business school person because it helps you get things done. We wound up se selling that website, uh, founding another one with Vince Murata. Uh, things always come full circle. Remember that uh, Vince and I have crossed paths numerous times, did that, took over uh, digital with uh, then KTAR sports, helped them, convert to Arizona sports, uh, went to the Phoenix Suns from there and became the first social media specialist in the NBA. Uh, did the post-game radio show, as you said there. Also did the Suns' first official podcast, Suns One-on-One, -on -One, which was a blast. I got to interview Charles Barkley and, and a bunch of the 92-93 guys and, and players from from that team, one of my favorite guys, PJ Tucker, I got to know doing a, an hour long episode with him. Uh, so I, I kind of really got my feet wet in podcasting in particular while I was at the Suns doing post game radio and then actually left the Suns to go into the corporate world. I technically don't work in media. I do this for fun on the side now. And that's when we started the the Sun Solar Panel, myself, uh, Dave King, and Tim Tompkins as just kind of a, a side thing because I was, uh, you know, I was working a corporate job and wanted to keep the sports thing alive. And we've been doing that 
three over three and a half years, 220 episodes now uh, in the books on that show. You know, you brought up PJ Tucker and I have to ask because it's kind of just who I am. And obviously Chili would probably be happy that I asked you this as well. Did he ever show you some of his shoe collection? Oh, yes. I mean, well, it was oh, it was man. on display basically at, at the arena. He had two lockers. And he wasn't <laughs> supposed to have two lockers, but there was an empty locker next to him. He was in I'm pretty sure he was in Charles Barkley's old locker and the one next to him was empty. I'm pretty sure at the time Chuck was there it was uh, two lockers for Chuck. But uh yeah, his second locker was all shoes. And we used to talk about that. Like now it's the, now it's like the hot topic, PJ Tucker, the shoe guy. But back then yeah. nobody knew. I remember writing something about it and nobody had any clue who PJ Tucker was. He came from Germany. He was playing in the German league when he came over to the sun's first press conference. He comes in, in a, a white V neck t-shirt and <laughs> dress pants. And somebody had to, uh, had to grab a, grab a jacket for him. And then, uh, nobody came to the press conference, so they had to bring employees in to to make him feel welcome. So that's how that's how far PJ came, and and yeah, he had had amazing shoe collection. Most of them sitting in that second locker, and then he was like, "Yeah, I got a, I got a sec, I got my house in. I think it was Texas. This is where he went to college, and I got a whole room dedicated to shoes. And now, obviously, he's become the." Uh, the man known for his kicks in the NBA now. That's so crazy. Um, I have to ask you this as well. What's one of your favorite all-time memories from working with the Suns? So favorite all-time memory has to be, uh, it was probably my second or third year working for the team. TNT was doing a game and Charles Barkley was actually doing color commentary. Like they sent him out to the arena. He wasn't doing his, uh, his normal pre and, and halftime and post game work on inside the NBA. He was, he was calling the game and I got an opportunity before the game. This is, this is a long story. So I apologize in advance. No, but that's before, fine. Before the game, I got introduced to him. And one of the biggest rules when you work for a team, they say, do not ask for autographs. And I said, screw this rule. I'm never going to get this opportunity again. I've loved this guy since I was eight. I don't care. If I get fired, it's a hell of a story, right? And I had this ticket stub. from. I got to sit fourth row for the game Charles Barkley grabbed his 20,000th rebound. No, 10,000th rebound, excuse me. Uh, and I... I brought it with me. I had it in my suit jacket pocket and I get introduced to Chuck and I say, look, man, this is highly unprofessional to me, but I grew up a Suns fan. It's a true honor to meet you. Would you sign this ticket stub for me? And I told him what it was. And he said, man, that's not unprofessional. I'm more than happy to sign this for you. So he signs it for me. And then wow. he agrees to do an interview at halftime where we do a 10 minute interview and you can still find this on the internet. My favorite interview I ever got to do and we talk for 10 minutes just about that 92-93 season. All these iconic moments, right? And I think, this has been the greatest day of my life. Don't tell my wife that. Uh, we had been <laughs> married at that point, uh, And my daughter wasn't born yet. So, But I'm still going to say that at that point, that was the greatest day of my life. And I thought it can't get any better, right? So finish, finish covering the game. And after, I don't remember who said it to me. It might have been Tom Leander, but... 
somebody said to me, hey, Charles Barkley, Tom Leander, they're all over at, or excuse me, Tom Chambers, they're all over at Marley's. Come with us and, and get a drink. And I said, you don't have to ask me twice. So I wind up behind the bar with Tom Chambers and Charles Barkley at Marley's downtown, and they're 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 two sheets to the wind, probably six sheets to the wind, to be frank. Yep. And and I have this great photo of me, Charles Barkley, and Tom Chambers behind the bar at Marley's that's framed with that ticket stub, and I will never forget uh, forget that that moment. Uh, the fan in me. The fan in me loved it. Uh, there were other moments uh, covering events, like I got to be on court taking photos for Steve Nash's Ring of Honor. Uh, I was in in the arena, actually on TV uh, during the "We Want Steve" chant during his final game at the arena. But that Charles Barkley story probably is my my favorite moment uh, moment as a uh, as a member of the Phoenix Suns. So. Something that I um, have noticed, and uh, you can dispute this if you want, but, um, you know, after all this time working with the team, uh, not being there anymore, it seems like you still really are a fan. Um, And you're obviously covering them in the podcast of the Suns and Arizona sports in general, but um, you it doesn't seem like you've lost your passion um, for just being a fan of the team. Is that true? And if so, how do you kind of, how have you kind of kept that going? Uh, I think, you know, there was a little time that it waned. I won't lie. I mean, when you spend, I spent five full seasons with the team, went through lockouts, five of the worst years in franchise history, the hours you put in, it all it all can wear you down a bit. Right. That's the part nobody tells you about working in in sports or sports media. But I mean, it was ingrained in me. I I grew up in this town. I remember, you know, I was nine when Charles Barkley came to town in that that ninety two ninety three run, and it just captured my imagination. I was I was hooked. I was sold from that moment on uh, with the sons they were as i told my wife uh, when we got engaged the phoenix sons are my first love uh, you're you're 1b but uh, the sons were my were my first love so uh, so sometimes they're going to they're going to own the pole position in uh, in what we're doing and that was before i worked for the team ironically enough but uh, i think that's just what it comes down to the only reason any of us root for sports teams and we're kidding ourselves if we if we say anything different is because there's some memory of when we were younger and and we we yearn for just feeling that again i mean and i think that's why any of us i mean maybe i'm wrong maybe that's a very personal thing to me but that's about uh, right you know, I I've always just uh, just loved the team, and it's actually it's actually been more fun since I left because you can say whatever you want when you don't when your paycheck doesn't come uh, from the team. But uh, you know, I, I it's just it's just a fanhood. It's just something that that's always been with me, and uh, unless something catastrophic happens, like they uh, they move the team out of town, I, I think it'll always be with me as well. Did, was it hard to make the decision um, to not work with them anymore? Uh, 
yes and no. I mean, life life happens, priorities change, and that was the case for me. My wife was pregnant with our first child, and I just said, you know what? Uh, I got to make some money. I got to I gotta be there. I can't work 18-hour days. I, I got to be there for, for my wife and my uh, my future daughter, and, and I made the choice. And uh, that that was probably one of the tougher choices I made, but unlike some of those choices I made at 18, it was a hundred percent the correct decision, uh, because I've been able to be a part of so many moments with my daughter. And, and that's really what matters, man. Uh, you know, guys, that's, uh, uh, not to again, act like the old guy dispelling wisdom, but that's, that's what it's about is, uh, is being there for, for those moments. And I had my fun, you know, working for the team, but now I get to have my fun uh, with my kid and, and there's nothing that says you can ever go back. Uh, it just, uh, you know, but you never get the time back that I've had over the last almost five years uh, since I left the team. Have you, have you gotten your daughter to start watching games? Oh yeah. Uh, she's a huge Suns fan, uh, a big Cardinals fan. She, Loves Kyler Mermaid and DeAndre Shopkins. <laughs> uh, she's she's very much into both of them. I was putting her to bed Kyler during Mermaid. Yeah, well, hey, you gotta. That's that's the way she got interested. You gotta have some fun with that. I love when it. They, but now she she loves it, and un, and unfortunately, Monday night's game was right during bedtime while I was putting her to bed, and she kept going, "Daddy, are they winning?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I'm putting you to bed, so I'm missing a big part of this game. I'll watch it after and let you know in the morning." So, uh, so that's the other uh, joy sometimes of, of of adulthood and parenting is uh, uh, your sports fandom has to take the backseat, you know, but she does she does love it, and uh, and she loves podcasting too. She. She comes in our, our little makeshift home studio and uh, and we podcast together all the time. So that is awesome. Uh, before we move on and talk about the Cardinals game, I would it would be wrong of us to talk about the Suns and not bring up their amazing bubble performance. Um, first off, for someone like you who's been a fan for as long as you have been and has worked for the team. And, you know, I saw the shirts that you made for this exact moment. I actually per- picked up a, a purple one. And I, I almost had to. <laughs> um, Devin Booker shot over Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. What was your reaction seeing that moment? Oh, I was, I, we were doing post-game podcasts. So I was actually sitting in the, in the makeshift studio watching on my phone and, uh, and I'm lucky that this is semi soundproof in here because I, I think I screamed loud enough to wake the dead. It was a, uh, it was one of those things that I, you know I joke around about this this reference. But if you've ever seen Shawshank Redemption, uh, Andy Dufresne crawls through a uh, two mile sewer pipe to find uh, find freedom on the other side. Well, it felt like that first crack of sunshine in the last decade for uh, for Suns fans, and it was quite a a relief. Uh, I, I hope it is a sign of things to come. I hope it's the moment that we all look back at and go, that's when things change. And, uh, there's, there's no doubt that it was the most fun moment since, uh, since they made that Western conference finals run, uh, in 2010. And that includes Devin Booker's 70 point game. I think that was, that moment was more exciting than that entire effort. 
You know, it's funny you you bring up the the 2010 run to the Western Conference um, Finals because I was actually in attendance when they beat the Spurs uh, at one of those games in Phoenix. I actually went there, and it was I was only in high school at the time. It was such a fun atmosphere. I mean, you know, I had people who did, had no idea who I was. I was with my buddy who was barely 16 at the time. We were high fiving everybody. Everyone was wearing orange. It was just so. It it was so amazing to be in that arena that that night and in many ways i haven't had that type of excitement for the suns until i saw that shot by devin booker oh uh, yeah it's this is a i i don't care i'm a i'm a huge cardinals fan right outside this room is a poster of of neil lomax from 1988 and i mean that's i'm i'm a hardcore cardinals fan too but this is a this is a phoenix suns town and when the Suns play well and they have big moments, there is nothing better in this city than that. And that that shot was the first glimpse of that, the, a reverberation uh, and a return of that feeling that we hadn't felt since that, that 2010 run. And that run was such a surprise that it took a little while for for fans to to warm up to it because unfortunately we're a bit of a front runner town and I know we'll talk a little bit more <laughs> about that as we talk Cardinals but uh it took a little while for for fans to warm up to that run but once they did again there was nothing better than Phoenix Suns basketball we saw it in the 90s we saw it during 7 seconds or less and for a very very brief two weeks we saw it during the bubble with with this group and that's why this offseason is so important because you have to build off that momentum you have to take the opportunity uh to capture the fans imagination uh you had free agents watching those games because they were on uh, on television throughout that run uh, i think you got to strike while the iron's hot, hot uh, this offseason let's get into the cardinals and before we talk about the game which was obviously incredible one of the biggest wins i think for the cardinals in a very long time i'm gonna let you sound off here for a second on the action green that was seen amongst the only what 1200 or so fans that were allowed in the stadium uh you even said and i'm gonna quote you in your from your story from your column it's not just a bad look it's embarrassing so sound off what what went through your mind when you saw so as many Seahawks fans as there were at the Cardinals game last night? Well, that line actually applies to action green in general. That color is just embarrassing. <laughs> but to me, when you only have 1,200 fans allowed in the building, right? And it's a, it's a building that holds 63,000 fans, usually primarily season ticket holders uh, that, that have been fairly loud and proud in that building, when you see how much green was there, and even if even if it was it was a hundred people, which it felt like probably in totality it was, when you only have twelve hundred in the building, that's a big deal. And in most cases, in a normal year, I wouldn't begrudge fans for selling tickets, right, to to whoever. Fine, it's it's your it's your choice. Go ahead and do it. But in a year like this. When only 1,200 people can be in that building, 
it feels like there should have been some fail safe where if if a season ticket holder opted into purchasing those tickets, the only way they could resell them was through the team back to other season ticket holders. There is no excuse in the biggest game of your of your season on national TV in uh, in a time where uh, you know not many people got would get the opportunity to witness a game in person the fact that people actually sold those tickets to Seahawks fans uh is is embarrassing quite frankly there's no there's no excuse for it and and people will say oh well you know and i got this on twitter today from people oh well you know that uh you know uh, people are are struggling so they should be allowed to sell it for however much they want to whoever they want and my counter argument is if you're struggling that much you probably shouldn't have bought any of those 1200 tickets in the first place uh you know if if your sole purpose was to turn around and sell them uh, you probably shouldn't have made the investment in the first place you probably should have spent the money uh, in places that are more important at the time uh I, you know i i went as far in the column to say that that they uh, probably should be prohibited from purchasing tickets for the remainder of this season uh, if it's found out, you know, that your season tickets wound up being sold to Seahawks fans, it's probably a, a little out there. And I joked if I were the czar of Arizona sports, that's the way it would happen. And, you know, there'd be a lot of different things that happen if I was the czar of Arizona sports, not all of them logical, but I, I just feel that passionate about it. We're a city that uh, continually is is the butt of jokes when it comes to well a lot of reasons but in particular uh sports were called a fair weather city on a regular basis and that does nothing to disprove it the only the only thing that makes it all right is that the the seahawks fans who bought those tickets went home feeling very distraught based on what they witnessed. And the people who sold those tickets now wish that it had been at probably the best win, at least regular season wise uh, in state farm stadium history. It, uh, it certainly is something that I moved here to Arizona in 2016. Uh, and I've noticed more than anywhere else I've ever been um, that the visiting teams here always have such crazy, um fan bases especially you go to a coyotes game um i watched them play the tampa bay lightning and there was a let's go lightning cheer going on like how many people are here from tampa bay three years ago that that can that all happened to be at the coyotes game it's just interesting to me do you think it's because you know a lot of people move here from other places just like i did and um you know the midwest there's a lot um uh, that moved down here but is it just because people it's so nice all the time that people don't want to go and sit in a stadium or why do you think that is? Oh, I think it's certainly because of uh, the fact that Arizona is is very much a a melting pot. Uh, There's not a lot of natives, even myself. I moved here when I was six months old from Boston. So I'm technically not even an Arizona native uh, myself, but I think that's, that's very much, the reason, and then you mix that with the fact that a lot of our teams uh, haven't been very good for for a long time. Uh, and, and in the Cardinals' case, prior to moving to State Farm Stadium, they were uh, they were at the bottom of the barrel for for decades. So uh, people just, 
I think have grown accustomed to when the team's bad, sell the tickets, uh, you know, get, do whatever you want. It's more of a, an investment, a nice to do if, if there's nothing else going on than a diehard fan base. We do not have the same kind of fan base as, as the East Coast, the Midwest. Uh, we are very much in that uh, in that West Coast kind of mentality when it comes to sports fandom. And I think it's slowly going to start to change. We now have generations of fans who grew up here. I mean, we talked about my daughter earlier. She's being raised uh, against my better judgment, probably as an Arizona sports fan. So I think eventually over time that that stops. But uh, right now we're still we're still in the middle of that. Uh, we're still looking at, at older generations who, you know, have adopted the Cardinals as their team until their first favorite team comes to town or until it's more financially convenient to not uh, not go to the game and, and pocket a few extra uh, extra bucks uh from from your tickets because well I don't really want to go to the game that much. Kyler Murray, um, speaking of the of the Cardinals, have you? I mean, how much hope is there now? Um, like I can't think of a time in the recent past where people were this probably. I mean, the the Super Bowl year um, were this excited and hopeful about the Cardinals. Like they've had some good seasons where they've made the playoffs and, and done well and everything. But in terms of like a future, has there been anybody that's given this team more hope than him? Well, let me first share a quote from one of my favorite American philosophers. The quote is without hope, there's no true despair. Uh, That was Bane from the dark Knight rises. And, uh, and, that's what always worries me as an Arizona sports fan is the second you grasp onto this exciting hope, there's that little twinge of what's going to go wrong in the back of your head. Maybe that's just because I'm, I'm a depraved Arizona sports fan, but that's just the way it's always felt for me. And I'm super excited for Kyler Murray. I think he is the best young quarterback the Cardinals have ever had. Uh, I think he's the best young running back the Cardinals have ever had, for that matter. Uh, <laughs> when you when you look at the way he's playing both with his feet and his arm, uh, the last time I remember this kind of excitement from a young Cardinals quarterback was Jake Plummer. Uh, his his magical run to the playoffs with the Cardinals in 1998 uh, was was the last time I remember a young player really capturing the imagination in particular young young quarterback and that was fun they had one playoff appearance they knocked off the hated cowboys got blown out by by the minnesota vikings and that was all the success jake Plummer had in arizona so i hate to be the guy that's like hey pump the brakes on kyler murray because i don't feel that way i think he's a, a definitely a a talented truly special guy and and will likely go on to be the best quarterback in Arizona Cardinals history which still isn't saying a whole lot right. but but I think he'll be right up there with Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer uh, but there there the level of excitement and hope hopefully is matched by the play and the the thing that that gives me the greatest hope is that Steve Kime was smart enough to go out there and pair uh, pair him with one of the best young receivers in the game as well. 
when you put Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins together, that's when things get truly interesting. And they're they're both in the fold for the next at least four years. So what can you do in that window? What can you do while, while Kyler Murray is on that rookie salary deal and you've got DeAndre Hopkins in his prime? How how can you take advantage of that? This year at five and two is great. I think they're they're surprising people. They're probably a year ahead of where where many expected them to be. But how do you capitalize on it? What do you do? What do you do to ensure that you actually take this early success? and turn it into sustainable success. And that's the biggest question mark. And this is where, you know what, Steve Kime, great. You, you found a way and you were bold enough to get the quarterback and the coach that you wanted. You make the smart, made the smart move in getting DeAndre Hopkins. But what do you do on the fringes? What are the, the little moves that pay big dividends that you make next? Because the splashy moves a lot of times are the easy ones. But it's how you fill out that roster, how you find that talent that turns you from an exciting team that everybody's talking about to a championship caliber contender for multiple years is a whole different story. Espo, great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, You know, always great to talk to you. I think, you know, we haven't really talked a whole lot, unfortunately, but uh, it's fantastic to, to hear your podcast, to read all your stuff on Arizona Varsity. And I highly encourage everyone to uh, give you a follow on Twitter. Like I said, very easy at Espo. And that's it. Uh, let me let me say this, guys, Eric, Zach. I love what you guys are doing. The evolution of this show from from episode one to to where you are now has been truly impressive. And and the show is is just a fun listen. And you guys are really finding a stride. And it's just a privilege and an honor to uh, to be part of it. Oh, man. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate that. I can speak on behalf of Eric when I say that, uh, you know, everyone at Team AZV just giving us the support and obviously be willing to join us and, you know, take 40 to 45 minutes out of your night to, you know, obviously, like I said, listen to us and let us ask you a bunch of questions and everything. Uh, We really do appreciate it. We wouldn't be able to do without you guys. Yeah. And I won't even hold it against you that you had Ralph Ralph and Sandy on before me. So. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> we actually had Ralph on twice, but you know, he, he's, he's also the he's he's the boss, though. You know, we got we gotta we gotta give him some love. You know what I mean? That's fair. I'll I'll let it slide. <laughs> Espo, thank you again for joining us. We really do appreciate it. No problem. Thank you again to Greg Esposito for joining us. Again, give him a follow on Twitter at Espo. You can also find all of his stuff on the Arizona Varsity website and uh, all the Twitter accounts as well. Um, Eric, very quickly here to wrap things up, I want to just kind of go over some of the games other than the ones that you and I are covering that we're looking forward to. Um, You know, for me, I think that Queen Creek Highland game looks very interesting. Queen Creek obviously kind of in a little bit of a slump. Um, You know, two straight losses to obviously some very good teams, of course, Um, you know, in, in Castile and Liberty, but Highland four and zero. They're uh, and, and they're they're doing it in convincing fashion as well. Um, what do you think about that matchup? And then what's another one that you're looking forward to? I think that Queen Creek has lost these two games, but that doesn't necessarily deter 
the fact that they're a solid team. Um, yeah. I still think they probably aren't an open bound team now with two losses, unless some other kind of wild stuff shakes out. Um, but I really think that they are, um, they're a solid six, a playoff contender, um, probably end up being a high seed in that. So I think that, uh, that's going to be a tough game. Um, Highland hasn't lost yet, but I think that they're going to really be tested there. Um, I am excited for a host of the, uh, the Phoenix, uh, games, just having the Phoenix union teams back. Um, and even games like North versus central that wouldn't necessarily be anything special, um, at any other time is, I mean, is awesome just to see that they're actually going to be back out there. Um, and South mountain Cesar Chavez and all the other Phoenix union teams that are able to play for the first time. Um, I mentioned it before, but I am, um, I'm really excited to see what Ironwood is able to do, um, against sunrise mountain. I think if Will Haskell's back, that's going to be a really, really tough game. Um, for both teams, Sunrise Mountains undefeated, Ironwoods three and one, um, with one loss coming to a team that everyone thinks is going to be in the open. Um, so I think that one's going to be really good. Williamsfield Higley is always a really good matchup between the two Higley uh, district schools, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just and Chaparral Liberty um, is another six eighteen a game that's really exciting. Those two teams played really close last year. Um, and then one more, you talked about Mountain Point, Corona del Sol before, and that was a one-point game that came down to an extra point last year um, at the end of the year. So I think that's going to be really exciting. Yeah, you know, you mentioned two of the games that I'm also looking forward to. Obviously, Mountain Point, Corona, I'm going to be covering. So, uh, But Williamsfield-Higley. Williamsfield obviously coming off a very big win against Castile and they've kind of been down compared to other years. I mean, they're a very young team, so, you know, it happens. But is this the year that Hagley and Eddie Zuby finally get the best of Steve Campbell and Williamsfield? Very likely. Uh, I wouldn't say likely, but there's a chance. Um, I should have said very possible. I don't, I'm not in the business of predicting games. It's just not something I've ever been good at. Um, so I won't make is a Is anyone actually game. good at predicting games? A lot of people think they are. Um, okay. Ask anybody. Do you think you're good at predicting games? You Me? think you're all right, don't you? I mean, exactly. Yep, that was it. You just uh, you just confirmed it. Everyone thinks they're okay at it when really no one knows anything. Um, yeah. But so I don't know. I just I don't really I don't really like the idea. I don't really like predicting either because I always end up jinxing things. Um, so. <laughs> I don't really predict, but I think that's uh, this is about as good of a chance as they've had. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Liberty Chaparral is very interesting. Obviously, this game last year, Chaparral won at the last second to send them to the open division playoffs. Um, we saw Chaparral just basically put on a clinic against Brophy. Uh, Jared Williams was incredible. I actually nominated him for my beast of the week for Arizona Varsity. Uh, on the offensive side, um, what do you see from that matchup with obviously Liberty having already kind of been in the groove of things and Chaparral maybe looking to still continue to make a statement because they only have, 
you know, five games this season because the first three had to be canceled. Yeah, um, that one is going to be really interesting, and it's going to come down to whether Liberty's defense can stop Chaparral's rushing offense. Um, and that'll be the determining factor because those are the two strengths of those two teams, uh, especially the secondary play of Liberty. But I think that that's going to be a really tough one. And it came down to uh, the last second last year. They're, they're two teams that have a history with each other. And I think that, again, I'm not going to predict, but that's going to be a really close one. Um, Chaparral is now has a game under their belt, so they'll have some experience. Um, you know, after uh, it's hard to come into a game after everybody's already played three to uh, to come in and expect to compete. But now they've got a little bit. They're kind of rolling a little bit more. You would expect um, healthy with some reps under their belt, while Liberty yet yeah, is starting to roll a little bit themselves. So I think that's going to be a really tough one. It's hard to predict. Uh, one other one that I'm also looking forward to seeing how it kind of plays out is uh, Campo Verde and Sal Point. This is a game that was set up because Millennium, unfortunately, is not able to play. They're in quarantine. And Campo Verde was looking for a game. And Sal Point stepped up. And now we've got a pretty good matchup overall. What do you think? I think that it's going to be exciting to see what these new, um, the newly looked, or the new look South Point team, um, how they do against a real con- uh, real solid group of 5A competition. Um, and last year they were an open team, but, you know, they don't have arguably the one of the greatest top three or four high school football players to ever come out of Arizona um, in Bajan Robinson, two-time medall- uh, two-time uh, Ed Doherty award winner just amazing player now at Texas. Um, so we'll see how that new look team is. Um, and Campo Verde has a lot to prove. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, Campo Verde is coming off a big win over Notre Dame prep too. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see if that momentum kind of carries over. Um, Eric, before we wrap things up, uh, usually you and I touch on maybe like a food subject or something kind of weird, whatever. Um, if you do recall, I believe it was on Saturday. I said, I was going to call you out for something. So I'm going to do it. At Arizona Varsity, all of us participate in who we believe will be the final open eight teams. We, you know, take part in, you know, who's going to win. You know, Ralph compiles a list of like 20 games and we kind of bet against the spread. We also do our conference rankings. Eric said he does not like conference rankings. He does not like doing rankings at all. So I'm going to call you out, Eric. What don't you like about putting teams in numerical order of where you think they're best fit? Because we don't see everybody. Um, there are a couple people at Arizona Varsity that I would assume have watched um, film of every team on that list. Um, but like the idea, like, do you remember off the top of your head who is 10 and who is 9 on your 6A or any of the lists? Uh, 6A number 10, I believe I put, um, oh, now I can't remember. Actually, now that you're putting me on the spot like that, geez, why you gotta do that to me? The, the reason I ask is because like what separates one team from being 10 and one team from being nine? It, it all is so arbitrary to me. Um, and I, I don't know. I used to do, 
I used to love the debate shows of who's should this team be ranked seven? Is that a fair? Are they underrated or overrated? Um, <laughs> just like bad radio, and I associate it with like bad content. And that's not to say that the Arizona varsity team is. It's just a um, a premonition I have. Um, so it's a selfish thing, and I just don't want to do the research either. Um, and I don't like being held accountable. So all those things um, have led to this, but I don't know. I can just pretend that it's because I have some real reason. Um, I just don't love it. So if Marquette was ranked number one, would you think it's dumb? I wouldn't care. Also, they would never be ranked number one because they don't have a football team. Now I'm talking about basketball. <laughs> I know. Um, but I would probably think it was dumb because you're such a liar. I would. You are such a liar. I would, I would enjoy it, but I would be like, I don't know that they're actually the number one team. I would think, oh, maybe Osasari Iguodaro is going to kill it for him. Um, but I don't know. It just it, It's hard when a lot of the teams don't end up playing each other. In college basketball, um, a lot of the best teams end up playing at some point, um, especially you know the ACC and the big conferences like that. And there's a tournament at the end where all the best teams have a chance to compete. But in high school football, it's like they play eight games. How do you know who's better than another team? It all seems so arbitrary to me. Um, and we can agree to disagree on this, but I don't think I'm would you say would you say Mountain View is better than Chandler? They have the same record, so why not? Okay. All right. Fair enough. If that's how you feel, fair Keeler enough. Keeler Ridge hasn't lost a game either. They have the same record. Why aren't they number one? Uh, how's that other team you were you were so high on down in Yuma hey, this year? Uh, Gila Sabola. Ridge, how, how, how's how's Sabola doing? They're uh, they're two and one. They're gonna have a winning record this year. That's good. That's not bad. Yeah. Um. I thought they'd go six and zero, oh, but now it turns out that Gila Ridge, I think, is going to be the team that benefits from that schedule. Um. They play the same other two teams. So, yeah. I uh, I guess I was wrong on Cibola. I'll admit that, but um, I still think that they are uh, they should be a playoff team, even though they're not. Okay. Uh, by the way, sneak preview: uh, my number ten team is Mountain View. Number nine is Pinnacle right now. Great. So. So yeah. why is why is Pinnacle one spot better than Mountain View? Um, for me personally, Pinnacle's played tougher competition um and does that make them a better team i think they're a more complete team right now i guess okay fair they're more they're a more complete team at this point in time it all regardless of record it all seems so arbitrary to me not only that but mountain view i heard also um had a couple injuries to key players so i'll have to see how you know how they do who's your number 11 team who'd you have to leave off um I didn't have to think about it. I only had to think about 10 teams. That's fair. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, <laughs> with that said, um, anything else you want to add? Any food things? I had a, I had a, uh, I had a red apple before. I can't remember what the, the exact name of it is, but I had a red apple before we started. Was recording. it a honey it crisp? Very good. No, it was not. Dang, you're missing out. That's my type of I apple. I've eaten a honey crisp. Probably if there's been, let's call it about a little under 300 days of uh, 
of 2020, I've probably had a Honeycrisp apple in 250 of them. Um, I love those things, man. A Honeycrisp apple a day take makes the doctor go away or whatever. Yeah, it, is, right? it unfortunately doesn't make coronavirus go away or else we'd have an easy solution. Um, that's true. For everybody. That's true. Maybe it yeah, does. That's Maybe that's the solution to this whole thing is everybody just needs to like get go to fries and get an apple. I'm not going to agree with you because I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah. So, um, not to mention that would that wouldn't work too well with social distancing if everyone piled into a fries. You could get it delivered. Yeah, but then you're waiting too long, and you know. So, all right. Well, that's you a don't good place know to wrap that it up. Isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> uh, with <laughs> with that being said, uh, thank you all again for listening. Uh, thank you again to uh, Greg Esposito for joining us again. Give him a follow on Twitter at Espo. Uh, give both of my, Eric and myself a follow, as well as uh, the rest of the Arizona Varsity team uh, at Zach Elvira, at E. Newman Wrights, at AZHSFB, and at Arizona Varsity. Thank you once again for listening. We could not do it without any of you, and we will see you all next week. I can't believe we forgot about this in our 22nd episode. We were talking about 22s. Um, how about Taylor Swift? She was feeling that age. <laughs>